Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together. Um, pray, Lord, that you will uh, open our ears as we listen to your word and we'll be conscious of anything that you wish to say to us through it. The reading is from 1 Samuel 7, verses 2 to 17. The ark remained at Kiriath-Yerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, <clears throat> Assemble all Israel at Mitzpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mitzpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mitzpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mitzpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth-car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, he's a big bloke with an earthy manner. His arms are covered with tattoos, and he was a captain of the Australian infantry. Even though he was, his dad was the principal of Moore Theological College, who then became the Archbishop of Sydney, David Jensen grew up knowing a great deal about God but he didn't love God. He said that if Jesus literally appeared before him, he would say to Jesus, I do believe you, but I want to follow myself. I want to do my own thing. All his life, he never had a moment where he would say, I don't believe. He always identified as a Christian. He said that what stopped him from bending his knees before Jesus wasn't a lack of evidence or a lack of belief but sin. He had a strong desire to do his own thing and he placed himself above God. And so by the time he was 20, he got his girlfriend pregnant. 
They ended up getting married. He joined the army, but things went from bad to worse. He became infamous uh, for drinking, fighting, and womanizing, and he loved it. His wife left him, and he didn't care. He embraced a hedonistic lifestyle, and, and he loved and embraced and relished his tough reputation. Until one morning in 2009, after waking up um, in the barracks with a hangover, he opened his laptop that his sisters had given him, and on the laptop, his sister had looked up some YouTube videos, and one of them happened to be John Piper's famous sermon, Don't Waste Your Life. With his hangover, he decided to watch this sermon, and he ended up spending four or five hours watching lots of sermons, and it hit him like a ton of bricks. This is what he said. Even though I'd heard the gospel a hundred, a million times before, I realized that no matter what I had done, no matter how far I had walked, no matter how much I'd rejected God, the cross of Christ was for me. He'd done it for me, and the love of God shining through Jesus was more powerful than anything I'd done. And so Jensen eventually bowed his knees before Jesus by his bed and cried out to God for forgiveness all night long. He said, there was no lightning, there was no thunder, but I awoke the next morning having the greatest sense of being loved and forgiven. Jensen grew up in one of the most famous and prominent Christian families in Sydney's history. But what was going to save him from sin wasn't the faith of his father or the fact that he believed, but whether he would bend his knees before Jesus as Lord and Savior. He needed to repent of his sins. He needed to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. It was only by being honest with himself that he could stop wasting his life with alcohol, violence, and women, but that he could start living his life to the fullest, filled with faith, love, and hope. It might have taken Jensen 20 years or more to repent, but God was patiently waiting for him with open arms. And in a similar way, the Israelites knew God their entire existence. They treated God, though, with great contempt. They knew God's promises to Abraham. They were living in the promised land that God had given to them. They would go and offer sacrifices at the tabernacle in Shiloh year after year. They even had the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, right before them. But as we've seen over the past few weeks, they took God's promises for granted. The Philistines captured their cities. The tabernacle was turned into a brothel. And they used the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm. Like David Jensen, the Israelites always believed in God. They, they, they identified themselves as the people of God, as the bearer of the promises to Abraham. But like David Jensen, what stopped them from wholehearted devotion and worship of God wasn't a lack of evidence or a lack of belief, but sin. That's why over 30,000 soldiers lost their lives in battle. That's why Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of God, the leaders of God's people, were killed. That's why the Israelites lost the Ark of the Covenant. You see, the reason for all these atrocities wasn't because Israel needed a, a, a military leader, 
a strategist, a larger army. They needed to turn back to God, for God had turned his face against them. And so what the people of Israel needed to do was to repent. They needed to turn back to God on bended knees, as it were. And that's what today's passage is about. It's about how Israel turned back to God, but it didn't happen straight away. Even though the Ark of the Covenant returned to Israel, it was still another 20 years before they would turn back to God. So chapter 7, verse 2, please follow along with me. Verse 2, the Ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. But just as God was patiently waiting for Jensen to return over 20 years after with open arms, so God was patiently waiting for Israel to return to him with open arms. And the sermon the Israelites heard that day that turned them back to God wasn't a sermon they heard from John Piper, but was from Samuel the prophet. And that's what we're going to look at now. Now, the idea of repenting is um, a simple to understand, but really hard to do in practice. Re repenting is basically like doing a 180-degree turn. And so David Jensen had been living his own way. He was living his life in this direction, filled with alcohol, violence, and women. That was his life. He had his back turned to God. And so for him to repent was to stop heading in this direction, to stop living that lifestyle, but to turn back to God, to do a 180-degree turn. That's what repenting is. And it is to bend your knees before the Lord Jesus, to beg for forgiveness for this lifestyle, for walking away from God all your life, and pleading for mercy, seeking his forgiveness. And committing yourself to living for God, to walk towards God, to live in favor of God, in obedience to Him, and leaving behind the lifestyle that God doesn't want us to live, that God knows is not good for us, to turn our back on finding satisfaction in alcohol, violence, and women to choose to live for God and finding satisfaction in God alone. And in a similar way, that's what the Israelites had to do. For decades, they, they had the promises of God behind them. They had the presence of God behind them because they were walking towards idols, the Baals and the Ashtoreths. They were bowing before them and worshipping them and having their backs turned to God. And so what they needed to do now was to do a 180-degree turn to turn their backs to the idols that they had been worshipping, to the lifestyle that they had been living, and asking God for forgiveness, and committing their lives to worshipping God and God alone, and not anything else. And so that's what Samuel preached to them. He told them to get rid of the idols, to, sorry, to turn back to God with all their hearts, and so verse 3 we read, So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then get rid of yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he'll deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. 
See, what we see here is that for the past 20 years, even after the Philistines returned the Ark of the Covenant, it didn't stop the Philistines from attacking the Israelites over and over and over again. And you can imagine how desperate the Israelites were to see it all come to an end. To be constantly attacked over and over would have been a constant thorn in, the state, in their side. They would have lost their husbands and their husbands, uh, their sons and fathers in battle. They lived in constant fear of attack by their neighbors. There was no security. They had no peace. They couldn't rest their head without the fear of being attacked. And this time, instead of turning to superstition for a solution, they listened to Samuel for an answer. So verse 4, So the Israelites put away their bows and astroths and served the Lord only. Isn't that great news? You see, the elders of Israel could have been moved to tears without being changed. The Israelites could have become so desperate for salvation without repentance. But what Samuel wanted was genuine repentance. And that meant moving beyond wet eyes and moved feelings and sturdy emotions. Samuel wanted concrete action. And it meant casting down idols and clinging to the one and only God. And that's exactly what the Israelites finally did after 20 years. After all the years under Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, they finally put away their idols and served the one and only true God. Now, it might seem like an easy thing to do, but it would have been a really difficult thing to do. Repentance is never easy. It's always hard. Because it's not just about changing your priorities. It's just about changing your lifestyle. For David Jensen, repenting meant giving up his addiction to violence, alcohol, and women, and worshipping Jesus with his whole heart. And for us, repenting might mean finding our security in Jesus and not in the size of our investment portfolio. Repenting might mean living for Jesus and not living through our kids. Uh, Repenting might mean glorifying Jesus and not seeking the glory of men. But even though it was hard to repent, the good news is that they obeyed, the Israelites obeyed. And that's what the Israelites did in Mizpah, verse 5. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I'll intercede with the Lord for you. Just as Moses interceded for Israel at Mount Sinai, so now Samuel intercedes for Israel at Mizpah. And the Israelites obey Samuel. They express genuine repentance by fasting and confessing their sins together and publicly. Verse 6. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And that, on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel as, at Mizpah. But even though the Israelites had repented and Samuel had interceded for them, it didn't mean that the Philistines now stopped attacking them. No, they still went full throttle and attacked them in verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Now this might sound familiar, doesn't it? A couple of weeks ago when we were looking at chapter 4, the Philistines were about to attack Israel as well. And they were terrified. They fought and they lost 4,000 men. And their response 
to that was to double in religious magic. They dragged the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield, thinking and hoping that they could force God's hand. So as the Philistines come and attack them again, as they gather, well, have they learned their lesson? How would they respond this time? Well, verse 8, they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered them. The Israelites longed for deliverance from the Philistines. But this time, instead of giving into superstition for deliverance, they cried out to God for salvation. Their only weapon was prayer. Their only path was faith. They no longer treated God as an object they could drag around, but they now treated God rightly as a person they could engage in prayer. And so Samuel offers a sacrifice and intercedes for Israel. And when the Philistines attacked, the outcome couldn't be more promising. Verse 10, when Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point before below Bethkar. When the people of God turned back to the living God, the outcome wasn't just victory at Mizpah. The Philistines stopped invading Israel in verse 13. And the towns of Israel that had been captured by the Philistines were returned and restored to Israel in verse 14. You see, what Israel needed wasn't a great military leader or a political diplomat who could broker peace with their neighbours. What Israel needed was a leader who would bring them back to God, a leader who would proclaim to them the gospel, a leader who would lead them in righteousness, a leader who would intercede for them, a leader who would offer a sacrifice on their behalf. And God gave them Samuel, the leader they needed. And about a thousand years later, on the first Christmas, God sent to us a leader to bring us back to God, to intercede for us, to offer a sacrifice for us on our behalf and to lead us in righteousness. We also need a leader like Samuel. But God gave us one better, his son, whom Samuel was but a faint shadow. What a great day it was for, for Israel when God gave them Samuel. What a brilliant day it is for those of us who have Jesus as our Lord. About a year after his conversion, David Jensen continued to struggle with sin. And I suppose being in the military uh, environment didn't help. So eventually he moved back to Sydney, joined the church, but he continued to struggle with sin. He says this, I sometimes hear people say, Oh, I don't struggle with lust or I don't struggle with anger. I said, I'll be six feet under before they're not a problem for me. I was born into sin. They're intrinsically part of my nature, but I love God more now than I have ever before. 
and God willing, despite my ups and downs, that will keep growing. You see, friends, being a Christian doesn't mean being perfect. Like Jensen, we'll continue to struggle with sin. What matters is whether we continue to repent of our sins and keep trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. For we have the prayers not of Samuel, but of Jesus himself. We're reminded in Romans chapter 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Aren't you so encouraged by that, that Jesus is at God's right hand, interceding and praying for you by name? He is praying for you by name. And that's what Jensen believes, so much so that he didn't want to live that lifestyle anymore. He wanted to live for God. And he completely turned his life around. He ended up going to Moore Theological College where his dad was the principal and became an assistant minister to a church where Kyle and I were student ministers. Friends, I hope you've been encouraged by today's passage and Jensen's testimony because it reminds us once again that God is patiently waiting with open arms to receive and forgive anyone who would turn to him, no matter how long it might take. So maybe you have a relative or a friend who you desperately want to see saved. You know they're wasting their life. You know they could have a better life in Jesus. But for one reason or other, they've gone off the rails and you can't see them ever repenting or ever turning to Jesus. And sometimes maybe you want to blame yourself. Maybe you could have done more. But friends, David Jensen's life was marked with love and the gospel all his life. But he chose the hedonistic lifestyle on his own. And it was by the grace of God that he brought him back. Maybe, maybe your friend or relative that you're, you've been praying for, that you desperately want to see repent, are so entrenched in sin or so stubborn to listen that you feel that there is just no hope at all. But let me encourage you to keep interceding for them. Keep praying for them. Keep living out the gospel priorities in your life to show that the life following Christ is a better life, is the most fulfilling life, is the hopeful life, because God will wait. God will wait. Just as God had waited for Jensen to repent from violence, so God waited for the Israelites to repent from, from temple prostitution. Maybe God is waiting for us. Maybe God is waiting for our friends and relatives who we've been praying for to turn back to him. And so as we celebrate Christmas this year, let us not give up hope, but let's be filled with joy as we remember that God is waiting with open arms. So as we share our lives and the good news of Jesus Christ this Christmas, may we see that God is once again ready and mighty to save. Amen.